Hey folks, thanks for listening. Here we go, part two with Matt O'Brien. We had such a great talk, and uh, I know a lot of you guys and girls are looking forward to part two, especially uh, we alluded to this waypoint system Matt creates and helps identify the spot on the spot. It's so much fun. So if you want to see what he's talking about, head over to uh, Ugly Pike, our Instagram page, and in the real section, we're going to post the three images. I'd put it, you know, can't really put it on the, the stories because, you know, it's... Uh, it goes away after 24 hours, so we want to embed that in the uh, real section. So check out the real section, and you'll see these images that Matt's talking about. You can see that the way he creates his waypoints, it's really interesting. We've never, you know, really even heard anything like this before. But before we get into that, a little bit of business. Chris and I are super excited. We have shipped to the LCBO for province-wide distribution, 400 stores. Uh, we shipped on Friday, and we expect that product will be placed in and around the first week of um, May. So what you should do is check out our website, UglyPikePodcast.com. There is a retail section where there's a map, and we're going to be populating that map. And uh, we're asking our anglers, our listeners, if you like the show, if you love the show, it means a lot to us if you guys could head to your local LCBO and make a purchase this is going to determine uh, how much of a reorder or a permanent item that we are on those shelves. So getting out and supporting us um, is something that is important for this venture if you guys like the beer. So uh, remember, we're donating uh, money to Muskies Canada for research wildlife conservation. So this is all towards a shared end. And uh, we would really appreciate the support of our listeners in this regard. Head to the LCBO when you see that your local LCBO is listed on that map and uh, and make a purchase. That would be wonderful. Uh, also, beer stores. We're going to be in a bunch of beer stores, almost 30 by June 1st. We're already being populated into those. And those are on our website as well under the retail section. So you can see where to buy our beer. If you're local, Niagara region, the pie plate, Niagara on the Lake, fantastic place. Go see Maddie. She's awesome. Best strawberry tarts in June you'll ever have. Best dessert you'll ever have right there. What else do you need? Little ugly? Beautiful. Walleye and whiskey. This new place in Port Colburn, right at the Sugarloaf Marina for the locals. It's the old Don Cherry's. 500-seat, awesome fishing-themed restaurant and bar. It is awesome. So we're going to be a big part of that, and we're excited. Really excited to be in there. And uh, you know what, guys and girls, uh, if you love barbecue, come down to the Niagara region on Saturdays. We're doing uh, these co-events with uh, Pitmaster, Canadian Drum, Smoker, and Co. And uh, if you've seen on, on our brewing page on uh, Ugly Pipe Brewing on Instagram, you see some of the creations this guy make, makes. It's um, honestly it's some of the best barbecue I've ever had. And I've been, you know, I had an office in Texas for years, so... I know barbecue. This guy's amazing. So it's worth a little trip. Grab your friends, grab your chapter, whatever. Come on down and see us, and uh, it's a great time. If you do head down, hit me up. Send me a DM, and uh, I'll meet you guys out there. Good time. Also, if you love the show, if you hate the show, leave a review on iTunes for us. It really helps us. And uh, as always, we appreciate the support. So I know everybody wants me to shut up. Want to get to the Matt O'Brien Waypoint Magic discussion. Here it is. Enjoy. Maybe talk a bit about what are the keys to success. Maybe if you want to even be more specific, as we're approaching the opening uh, of, of musky season in the French River, like what are some of the keys that are allowing you to put three three fish minimum in the boat every 
every time you get out there. What is what is your mindset? What is your pattern? How do you approach uh, the the kind of topography and the in the underwater structure and the bays and whatnot and the water temps? What are the key indicators for you uh, as you approach the start of the year? Okay, so I mentioned before how uh, I kind of um, started fishing the upper French River more than the middle and the lower because of the Navionics map, right? Um, and that's true, it does make it safer. But something to keep in mind if you go to the French River, Lake Nipissing, is although it is charted, it's not correct, right? Um, like there's instances where Navionics will say it's 40 feet deep, but it's zero or vice versa. It'll say there's a rock, but it's 50 feet deep, right? So I think if you're going to go up there and spend time, you want to uh, carefully uh, approach the structure um, methodically using um, auto chart live or, or C maps. And when I first started doing it, they, those things didn't exist. So I used waypoints. Um, the first time I went to the French River, I, I, I mapped out all the islands with waypoints, right? Because it was just a blank screen. But I, and I still use waypoints to, to the day today. And I think it really helps me um, fish the spot correctly and make sure that I hit the spot on the spot. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Now, Matt, is this, does this correspond with what you sent me, uh, those images? Yeah, 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 exactly. So, like, just, it's it kind of like I use, well, first I started using waypoints because there's no auto chart back in the day, right? Um, but it basically just allowed me to correct the uh, the base map. Like, if you look at those images, um, you should maybe post them when you post this uh, this podcast, Frank. Um, if you look at those so images. So, Matt, what we're going to do... Hang on a sec. What we're going to do, Chris, now I have these three images from Match, and let's tee this up. I'm going to actually make a reel out of these because we don't want to put them on our wall, but we're going to. But I don't want them to put them on stories and vanish so that when people are, are listening, they're not going to know. So we'll post these. Like I'll make like a 90-second reel so you got a good exposure to these, and and, uh, and and so everyone can go access them. By the time you're listening to this, this will be up on our reels. Uh, but, Matt, set it up because I'm looking at some icons here. And it looks like you got rocks, and then you have markers that are different colors. So, like, I'm thinking right here, what is what? What is a fish? What is your waypoint trajectory? Can you tee this up for us? I see the mark. Holy shit. I see the hook on the one sonar screen. It's massive. Big fish. Holy shit. Uh, but why don't you tee this up for us so that we can, uh, we can put this on, and then uh, everyone can see what's going on and follow along at home. Yeah, so... Like I said, so the Navionics map helped for, for um, navigation, but for being specific and fishing the structure properly, it's, it's not exact, so you're not fishing properly really if you're just going off the map. So what I did um, was kind of correct the, the, the Navionics map with a series of different waypoints to tell me when I'm looking at it and I'm approaching the spot exactly how deep it is. So the Navionics would say it's 15 feet, and it might be, but... I, I would use this waypoint system on top of it. And every different waypoint, every color has a different depth or meaning. So for example, skull and crossbones, I mentioned that before. That's a rock you can hit with your boat, right? That's one icon. Then I would go to the rock icon. The rock icon is a rock that you can't hit with your boat, but it's still a rock. You can drive over it when you're trolling, you can cast it. I know exactly how deep it is, right? 
and then I started off with a with a, a series of blue icons. So a blue dot would be 10 feet, a blue X would be 15, and so on, right? And that worked pretty well for uh, a long time when I first started. But as time went by, it wasn't good enough for me. It was it wasn't giving me the detail and the specific information that I needed to troll or cast stuff properly. So in my head, I was like, well, how can I build on this so that it's more specific? So what I did was I changed colors to be off plus or minus one or two feet. So green is go, red is stop. In my head, I'm like, okay, so a blue dot's 10 feet. I can use a green dot for 12 or 13, right? And I can use a red dot for seven or eight, right? And I just built on it from there. Now you can click on them too and double check them. If you're, if you're trolling down a shoreline and you've got an icon coming up and it's uh, a green dot, you can click on it. It'll say 12 or it'll say 13, right? And then like a, a, or I would use a red X, right? A red X would be a little bit less than 15. You know what I mean? And I also yep. used um, the weed icons, right? So say I have a huge weed bed on Navionics. You just have like a, whatever, like a, a 10 foot flat. I would, I would go on top of that weed flat and grid it off for an hour or two, just drive over it and just look at my sonar, touch it, lay down waypoints until I've got that entire uh, weed flat gridded off with a perfect weed line. So now the next time I come there, I can pull up to the spot. I've got the weed bed laid out with the icons. And I can just cast over it. It's kind of like a manual auto chart, manual chart. Yeah. And now, of course, we've got all the And that. Matt, you, yeah, but you're okay. I think I know what you're saying. So, like, I'm looking at some of these uh, in the third picture, these green leafy icons, and you can clearly see that they are defining some sort of shape, right? So, in between those is the area you're talking about, maybe the big weed patch. Okay, so I'm just looking at them here, too. So, yeah. which one are you looking at? So, this, oh, shit. Uh, I think I'm looking at, so I'm looking at the last one, the, the bottom one that you sent me. Okay. That's it's a got good one. the too. side imaging beside right. it. Right. So that's a good point too. Okay. So you can see the weed line there. So it looks like they're really um, spread apart really far, but in actuality, they're not like if you zoomed out, those waypoints would be so close together that it would just look like a huge weed bed. Right. But I'm glad you brought this picture, okay. this, this, um, screenshot up for two reasons. Number one, you can, number one, you can see a muskie there in the side imaging, right? And number two, if you look closely, okay. yeah, uh, yes, you'll see uh, like you'll see a deer, and you'll see the ghost, and you'll see the dollar sign, and the question mark, and the golf tee, and the sun. You see all those random icons. Yeah. So what I do, what yeah. I do with the random ones, they're outside of my system that I use for for uh, mapping structure. What those are are musky. So the, and the reason mm. why I don't just use like deer every time, right, or, or one icon is using different ones allow me to see um, how long ago it was. So when I'm coming up to the spot, like, okay, I'm using ghosts this week, right? So anytime I mark a, a muskie, that's like within three days, right? And then it, it gets becomes irrelevant, and then I switch to another icon like uh, the sun or the or the golf tee or whatever that is, like the green, right? So then I can tell that's, okay, that's been yeah. within the last few days I saw a muskie right there. It's just another way of using uh, different icons to give me more information when I'm fishing a spot. And the question mark is Wicked. the question mark is I usually use for I think I marked a muskie, but maybe not. So I'm going to use a question mark, and then if I see it there again every day, that's probably a log. 
right? And then I'll switch right, that. Right, right. Okay. Wood. I'll, I'll use an icon of a tree. Right? But until I know, I'll put a question mark. Chris, are you, fish. are you looking at these pictures, Chris? Yeah, yeah. I was going to ask him about I, – I was going to ask exactly that question. Is the uh, Are the deer – and the the sun and whatnot uh, muskies so he answered that for me i can't believe the size of this hook on this sonar like holy shit what a fuck. did you end up catching that fish i gotta ask oh man i can't remember to be honest yeah i so <laughs> a, a couple years ago though i saw the muskie i saw all year was right there um, that's in the river too. Cool. The other spot there, the first one, I caught like probably thirty or forty muskies on that weed bed last year. Nice. Yeah. So that's what that's how I use it. So back in the day, I didn't have the choice of or the option of using auto chart, and now that I do, I'm I'm um, using that as well. But I think um, like if if it happened in reverse and I had auto chart before I had the waypoint system. It would be like a eureka, eureka moment where I'm like, oh my god, now I can now I can put a point like exactly in one spot. You know what I mean? Like the auto chart's nice, yeah. but especially on the French River, right, and, and Canadian Shield Water, where everything's so rugged and sharp. You know, like the auto chart doesn't really do that good of a job when it's going from eighty feet to five, then back down to sixty, then up to ten, then back down to ninety. You know what I mean? Especially in the shallower water, like if I want to target something that's less than eight feet. Right, my auto charge is going to put everything above eight feet all red, right? Whereas the waypoint is, is going to show yeah. me that one spot where it's four, and that's the key, right? So I think the waypoint using both is key, but to me the waypoints are more important. And like I said, if you if you did if you did in reverse, you always had auto chart, and then all and all of a sudden you could use a waypoint, it would blow your mind. Yeah, man, that's a, that's a wicked. That is such a good point, and it's really important. Like uh, I use. I use auto chart all the time when I'm not on my home waters. Like home waters is tiny for me. It's a small area. I, I know everything. Like I know where everything is. It's just, but like auto chart is so awesome. But like the spot on the spot, you're absolutely right. Like you're going to get these vague, you know, defined by parameters depths, which is, which can be really good when you're doing things like trolling uh, non shield lakes and straight lines and stuff like that. Yeah. Okay. I get that. Yeah. But the spot on the spot might be a, a you're right a four a four foot you know giant rock that comes out of a out of a ten foot uh, line. So that's actually a really good point. I never even thought of that. Wow, Matt, that blows my mind. I think, I think that you know you can see the work that you put into mapping all of this out and how intricate and how much detail you know you've you've mapped out on on just those screenshots. So obviously somebody coming to the French River doesn't have the time to do that. that that's like, that's, I don't know if that's a, a lifetime of, of, uh, of mapping that you've showed us there, but you've obviously put a lot of time on the water. This goes to show how important it is to get a guide when you go to a place like this, because understanding all that complex underwater structure, it's just, you know, it, you, you're, you're, you're going to jump, have a huge jump in, in, in like your learning curve. If you have a guy there that can just literally wipe all that time out for you. So I think it's important if you're coming there for the first time, invest in the guide, someone like yourself, and you'll be able to, you know, cut all of that hard work that you put put in, like right out. Yeah. You're definitely going to be in a better position. And you probably learn, um, you know, how to fish the body of water. I always tell people too, like whether you're going to Eagle Lake or Lake of the Woods or Georgian Bay, especially if you haven't fished there before, absolutely highly recommended to get a guide. I mean, 
not only are you probably going to catch one, you're going to learn a lot on your day, on your time, you know, your day or time on the water with the guide. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, not, not all guides are created equal. Like we've, we've had a lot of guides on the show. I've talked to a lot of guys offline and stuff, but, um, the level of detail and insight on, on what we just discussed the last six or seven minutes is amazing. And, you know, Chris, you start to get a sense. I'm starting to get a sense now why, you know, Matt, plug your ears if you have an ego problem, but why Matt is so revered on these waters. And it's this attention to detail. Um, every detail from, you know, not just putting a waypoint down, but when I put that waypoint down, that that matters, right? So uh, this is so cool. I uh, I can't wait to hear where we go next, Chris. Where are we going next? Are we, are we staying on tech? Do we want to talk about the controversial tech issues of the day do we want to move sure. on to yeah, yeah. What, uh, what all right the, go ahead Chris. live scope well sure. that's, that's something yeah there's something we we discussed before with you like we just touched on it i'm not sure um how important that is in your fishing kind of you know your plan but we've had discussions in the past with people about the kind of do they use it? Do they not? Is it fair? Is it unfair? How, how to approach fishing with the live scope? Um, so just, you know, I know technology is a big part of your uh, fishing experience and utilizing it to your advantage. So is that something that you've incorporated into your uh, guiding is the live scope or you, you, you just stay away from it? Um, a little bit, but not very much, I guess is the best way to put it. And I think the reason being more, more than anything else is I don't want to stare at the screen. Like I know it seems like I'm looking at my screen all the time with, with my waypoints and my icons and everything and my fish finder, which I am. But the problem with live is there's no history, right? So if something, if a muskie flashes on the screen, right? And then it goes off. It's not like traditional sonar or GPS where it stays on the screen for 15 seconds as it scrolls from the right to the left, right? Like you, I can look at shore. I can look at my lure. I can, I can fish and just enjoy being out there and not worry about staring at my screen all the time. Whereas with live, you like, if something goes on there and you you blink, you're not going to see it. There's no history. So, um, that's one of the biggest reasons why I've stayed so away from it. Vision a bit. Yeah. Like if you, you gotta be looking at that thing, like you don't even get to have fun fishing anymore. You just got to stare at the screen and then look for a muskie. Right. I mean, it's, it's sure it helps. And, the, and, and if you do, see one you can like, turn the thing and keep it on it and just live you know keep it on your screen live but for me i see them on my side imaging anyways and i can just turn around right i don't need to kind of like lock in on the thing and i you know i catch fish anyways i mean i think it would be cool uh and i've done it uh, jigging before um and i can see how that's kind of cool but it's almost live when you're jigging anyways right you can see your jig going up and down you can see the fish come in anyone that's ever jigged or like ice fish before it's at that point it's pretty much live anyways you know what i mean do you guys use it and clearly as you mentioned if you're if you're putting that amount of fish in the boat daily and, and per season it's not like you need that to to increase your catch rate you're already doing quite well yeah um that's that's right now to this day that's my experience with it i mean i i did i used it trolling too i had some clients bring uh theirs down and, and set it up in between the front two seats of the boat um 
But in that situation, we talked about this at the Odyssey. Um, in that situation, it was kind of like a three-man deal, right? I was driving the boat. We were trolling. I was driving the boat. I was doing my thing. I was looking at my icons, looking at my fish finder, worrying about my, my lure depths and, and line lengths and everything like I usually do, right? And then one guy was staring at the live screen, right? And then one guy was steering the live scope and following the lures behind the boat because, like, when I turn, it would go out of the live cone, right? So it was like a three-man job in that situation for sure. Like, it's, it's you know, definitely going to help you, right? Because you can – you can have one person that doesn't have to worry about driving the boat and hitting rocks and doing and fishing that just stares at the screen and waits for a musket to come in there. And then one person to steer it. Right. And then when one would come in, he'd be like, Oh, there's one. Right. And he, Cause you could see the lures wiggling right live on the sonar. Bah, 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 bah. And then, Oh, there's one all of a sudden. And then he would, he would, the guy that was steering the sonar thing or the live scope would pick up the rod and jerk it. And then boom, right. Get the hit. Like, Give it, give it, give it more triggering uh, aspects, and it worked once, anyways. Um, you know where we, we, the guy that was staring at the screen saw it, and then the other guy picked it up and then just gave the the lure a little more action. It hit, but it may have hit anyways. I don't know, right? So, do you have it on your boat? Did, did, did you Not buy right the, now, the, no. the the? Okay. Frank, did you have it on your boat yet? Did you? No, order it? I don't. You know what? I don't. And the reason is no, for no other reason than like when I like uh, obviously, like I said, like what am I going to do? Put on the Niagara and just verify that there's no fish here? I mean, like well, we can see I, through I, the bottom anyway. <laughs> I don't need to spend two thousand dollars to know there's no fucking fish here. Um, and usually when I uh, when I travel, Chris and fish, a lot of times it's not in my boat, thankfully. So. Um, you know, if, if I was in Matt's shoes or if I lived uh, on a greater body of water, you know what, I, I might entertain it, but, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know, maybe I would, it's, I, you know, and I, I, I had, I was interviewed by, you know, Ben Kelly was on our show, Chris, um, geez, I don't know, maybe a year and a half ago or so. And if, if the listeners will recall, uh, he did a little thing where he wanted to catch his first muskie in a kayak and. You know, talked to Samantha Dadson and got a couple bucktails and went out just to see if he can do it. And lo and behold, the guy catches a fish and you know changed his life and yada yada. He's got a uh, his he's a he's paddleheads now. If you go to uh, his Instagram page, they're called paddleheads, and they do all this great fishing media. And he was interviewing people at the uh, at the Muskie Odyssey, and he did a rapid fire with me. This is on uh, on YouTube. It's on our Facebook page. If anybody wants to watch it, there's a link there. And uh, I did a rapid fire and, and uh, you know, I think one of his first questions was, is live scope cheating? And it totally caught me off guard, you know, Chris. And like, we've been talking about this now on the show and, and I didn't really have a really good answer because the point I'm trying to make is uh, I still, I'm still trying to wrestle with the ethics of this whole situation. And I certainly empathize with the guides who have to feed their families. I think that's a very big deal and it's something that needs to be taken into consideration, but uh, you know what, as to whether myself, a leisure angler would do that, I just, I don't know yet. I mean, if I had to, you know what, Chris, when we buy the the place we want on, on Nipissing or the French or wherever that might be, hopefully in that neck of the woods, uh, maybe I'll change my mind. But right now the answer is no. I, th- I think if, if you have experience with it over time, you'll be able to realize it, how, if it's if it really is effective and it's changing your, your game or it's it's just a minor 
bump in your success rates and it's not worth the investment. That's something you can't really determine until you experience it. Uh, we, I've been reading a lot about it. And there's just, it's such a polarizing topic and you have people, you know, on all sides of the spectrum that are for or against it. And we talked with Josh about how, you know, there's even discussions about regulating it for tournaments and whatnot. So we know it's just going to keep coming in, advancing more. And then the more it advances, the cheaper it becomes and everybody has it on their boat. So something yeah. we'll be talking about for a long time, I think. Uh, yeah, for sure. I listened to uh, that Josh Borowski uh, interview that you guys did. And I think he had a great yeah. idea. Um where you where they regulate how many you can have, just like how you're only allowed to have one rod when you're fishing in Ontario, right? You're only allowed one live scope. Like these guys that are rolling into the tournaments in the PMWT with twelve of them, and it's they've got like a three sixty. Yeah. It, it, it's just like they're sitting in the in, a, in the middle of a like house of screens. That's I think that's getting out of control, and at, at that point, it's not even fishing. Whereas having one and, and you, you know, you can only see so much and stuff like that's different. So I think it, we'll probably see that happen because I don't think they're going to completely take it away from, you know, the field or for, for fishermen. But what might happen is, is we'll see a regulation put in place where you only have one or two or whatever the number is. Give the fish it seems a like a good solution. Yeah, it really does seem like a good solution. So we'll see how that plays out. <clears throat> getting so many messages right now over Instagram as soon as I put that teaser. I know I said that before, but they keep coming. And uh, everybody's going to be excited to hear this uh, this episode, and rightfully so. That last segment was awesome, Chris. Um, you, blocked out, uh, you blocked out any sensitive information, I think, so we're okay to post those, Matt? Yeah. So oh, I, Chris, I, not I, only did – Hold on. I go said, ahead, Matt. You, you go. Yeah, I said those <laughs> twice. One time they're, they're, I only blurred out half it. The other – the other time I blurred out both sides. So just make sure you, you post the blurred one. Uh, I got it. Don't worry. Yeah, Matt sent me these lot in three different lots. And I was like, I'm like, are you sure you want me to post this? And he's like, oh, wait a minute. Hang on. I'll send you more. And then he sends me one. He's like, wait a minute. I'm going to send you another one. So, and that was like, yeah. No, I was just going to say, I don't know uh, if you listened to the episode we did with Jim Sarek, Matt, but he talks about how he's like a spy on the internet with everybody's posts. Yeah. And he'll go that. into people's posts. He'll go into their post and he'll study the photograph. Like he'll study whatever structure he can find in the background, uh, tree line, uh, any like thing, anything that sticks out, um, just to just to find like you know locate a spot. So he was talking about that. It was I think Frank and I were both a bit taken back that he spent a lot of time doing that. And he said you'd be surprised how much you can learn from just going on Facebook and looking at people's fish photos. Oh yeah, like or whatever they post. People that know that know the French River and Nipissing, when they see those those pictures, they're gonna know exactly what spot it is. But I don't want people that don't know to just type in the the Latin long and then be there on the spot. You know what I mean? That's yeah. different. If you know, you know. If you don't know, yeah. get out there and, and, and uh, learn the water or hire a guide. <laughs> there you go, Frank. I think you and I have both been in situations where we've been given uh, points. And we've gone there, and uh, we're empty-handed. So it's not like it's it's a guaranteed fish, anyways. It happened to me all summer last year. <laughs> How about that time where we we hit those spots like so hard, and it was a tough, that yeah, was a tough, tough. Chris, eighty-one degree water, and so I mean that was just 
that was just nature telling us to get the hell off the water. But the Nipissing last year, I had some great intel. You know, I had some really great intel, and, and, and it didn't pan out. I, I went to Nipissing without you the one time, Chris, and it didn't really pan out. But one thing I noticed about the uh, intel I did get on Nipissing was that these were from good anglers, really good anglers. But everyone gave me, like, spots and information and said, don't tell anybody. And then the next guy would give me the – everyone basically gave me the same info and acted like – Nobody knew that this was the right, like that these were the spots. So, um, you know, especially along that, the South shoreline, I mean, you know, we talked earlier too, and I'd like to revisit this, Chris, because we didn't revisit in this discussion, but, you know, open water musky, that sort of thing. But a lot of the spots uh, on Nipissing on the shorelines, they're very, they're, a lot of them are quite evident because, you know, you've got the underwater humps and stuff like that. And, and you've got to be really naive as a musky angler, not to identify that as good structure, but, um, I don't know, Chris, where you want to go with this discussion, but that was an interesting point Matt made off mic or the now uh, unfortunately recorded first episode that will never make air. But he talked about uh, offshore muskie. Do we want to hit on that before we wrap this up, or what, what do you want to do from here? Uh, I think that's a good point, and maybe we can just go back even one step further. That that was a that was a discussion we were having about coming to the French and, and what, how we're targeting uh, fish for the first time coming on French in the opening season. And we talked about looking at, you know, key indicators like the, the water temperature and going into the bays and then, you know, progressively getting into open water and, and finding the bait fish and, and seeing the, the, the muskie sitting in, in, the, in the top five feet of that water column, even though the water temperatures are cool below. Uh, Matt was talking about how that top five feet, uh, the water temperatures are a lot higher or a few degrees uh, warmer. So then we started, yeah, getting into that open water, uh, targeting fish in the open water there. So Matt, if you want to elaborate on that, I mean, you, you have the much more knowledge on it than we do. So. Okay. So I think, first of all, I think it works not only in the French river, but everywhere, especially when there's uh, if there's Cisco smelt and whitefish, probably shad too. I've never fished in shad based water, but um, yeah, it, it'll, I think it'll work everywhere. So, um, what we were talking about was, so in the back bays on the French river, because, um, the fact that they're so far off the, the main current and remember the French river is gigantic. It's not like the river you're thinking about, you know, that you drive over in your car and it takes one second to go across the bridge. The French river, most people, uh, you know, they think they're in a, they think they're in a lake. People always ask, am I in the river or am I in the lake? Like, it's this is huge, right? Anyway, so point being, um, the main current coming off that gigantic Lake Nipissing early season on opening day is freezing cold. But it goes straight down the channel over the dam out to Georgian Bay, right? But the back bays, they're, so, they're sometimes miles off of the main channel. Um, they, they're 20 degrees sometimes warmer than the main channel. So the fish back there... Um, are, are going to be post-spawn, like I said earlier, and they're going to be more um, more likely to be feeding. So you're going to want to start there. Uh, it's going to work. And at the same time, because fish are individuals, um, you may want to try also fishing the open water adjacent to those back bay spots um, that, you know, that, you're gonna, that most people would target. Um, people don't think about, you know, they always want to, cast at a rock or at, at a shoreline or at a log or at a stick right but you can what happens is these fish when they want to feed they just drift off the spot out in open water and they eat suspended forage like smelt cisco and whitefish 
uh, and perch. Um, so on the French River, those back bays are very deep. They're not like a traditional bay. Like when you think of a, like a back bay or a spawning bay, you're thinking like this big, huge, you know, shallow, sandy, weedy bay. A lot of the ones on the French River, it being so deep and part of the Canadian Shield, um, you know, there's 40, 60, 90 feet in the middle of these bays and they're, they're only a cast length offshore, right? So these fish can easily go from sitting in their warm water um, shoreline or, or comfort zone uh, to, to you know, two kicks of their tail and they're in 90 feet of water fit, feeding on Cisco. So if you're going to fish the French River on opener early season, definitely fish those open water bays. Cast them, troll them. Sometimes the, the smaller ones, it's better to cast them because the, the, you can't really turn fast enough, right, to, to keep your lures in trolling. Um, and then from there, I basically do the same thing, but I transition kind of out from those back bays into the main channel. As the main channel starts to warm up, those fish that are spawning in the main channel, they don't all spawn in the back bays. The ones that are spawning in the main channel, they're a month behind, right, or three weeks behind because the water's so much colder out there, right? And then the same thing happens there. They go from their spawning warm water zones on the shorelines and, and little small inlets and stuff along the main channel out to the the open water uh, feeding zones where the cisco are out there eating bugs and mosquitoes and black flies and mayflies and whatever else is hatching give it a try uh, trolling works really good on in, in uh, big areas um, and especially if you haven't done it before trolling will allow you to cover more water you know, and, and stumble upon uh, a good area out there. Um, but what we found over the years is with time and, and waypointing, uh, we have clusters of, of uh, waypoints and feeding zones. So out in the main channel there, right, over the years, over the last whatever, 20 years, like some of my waypoints, you know, are, you know, pre-Navionics, um, my kill zones or my, my my spots where I've where I'm getting bites cluster up, right? I'll have I'll have clusters out there in the open water that have, you know, twenty kills, right? So now what I'm doing is with experience and time on the water, I'm just like ignoring the rest of the channel and going right to those cluster zones and casting them. Right? But if you don't know, it's the first time being there, just go out there and drive around drive around in the middle and you'll probably get bit. It's a good way to look at it, but with time and, and, and waypoint management, you, you'll dial in kill zones out there that are, you know, it seems like they're in the middle of nowhere, um, but for some reason, always hold the big fish. Matt, are those, uh, the, the, the ones you're talking about in the main channel, are those, are they coming from nipping the, the lake and coming in to spawn? Or like I think how, how, do you, how, how do you think the fish are moving? I think uh, not 100% sure on that, to be honest. Um, I think all of the above. Some live there for years, but like you can have a fish live on Nipissing for 25 years, right? Then roll into the, to the French and then stay there for a couple of years. You know what I mean? And sometimes they go back and forth daily or yearly, I mean, seasonally. But uh, yeah, I think everything happens, man, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah. And the strains that you're catching are they are they are you catching different strains of, of musky because in Nipissing there's I guess there's there's all three yeah. of the strains are there right yeah like we get spotted musky not many 
Um, they look a lot different than the ones you'd catch like in the Great Lakes or St. Clair. For some reason, the spots are smaller. Um, we get tigers. Uh, we get and we get mostly clear and barred. I think, but I but the barred muskie, I feel like most of the time when they get bigger, just look clear. Like I think they just when they're young, they have the bars, and when they get bigger, they turn into a clear. But I might be wrong on that. I'm not sure. Interesting. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm not cool. sure. You know, but one thing I will say is so that, that open water bite that I was talking about, um, it happens on the lake as well. Right. So, but the thing is on the lake, it being so much shallower, it happens earlier. The, the, you'll, and and the, the reason why I know this is because the bug hatches happen out there earlier. Right. The big bug hatches happen on the lake before they happen in the river. Right, so that open water bite where all the all the bait fish are coming up to eat the bugs happens first out there. For the most, from what I've seen, happens out there, then transitions down the river and out of the bays into the main channel. Like you talking before the season, or like how does uh -huh. that how does that line up with the season? Well, so like I like uh, I mentioned uh, how it transitions from the back bays, like the open water in the back bays, right? That happens first, then it transitions to the main channel. Um, the same thing kind of happens on the lake. It, it happens out there first because it's shallow and warmer, right? Not as warm as the back bays, right. but warmer than the cold, deep water of the French River. Like the French River, I bet you, averages around 85 feet. That's what I've been told. Uh, real close to that. And the lake, Nipissing, um, it averages like less than 15. That's how shallow it is out there. But the water That's at the mouth of the French River is deep. So when I'm talking about this, like the lake's huge, remember, right? So when I'm talking about this, you got to think about the shallower, warmer parts of the lake. Like for people that don't know, Lake Nipissing, uh, I did an article for Muscatter Magazine a few years ago, so I had to do a little bit of research. Um, lake Nipissing is the third biggest lake completely inside of Ontario. I think Lac Sol and uh, Nipigon are the only two lakes that are bigger. So it just it shows you how big that lake is. It's massive. Wow, wow! It's huge. Like you, when you go out there, you can't see. Like if you look east or west, you can't see the shore. And being just, so you know, shallow, it's it's it, it it's also why it can change so quickly and get the waves can kick up so quickly. Kind of kind of like Erie. Parts of Lake Erie are shallow and and the swells kick up really fast. Yeah, I've never been on Erie, but I, I've heard it's similar. Um, yeah, but so yeah. if you go out to like, if you know where, uh, what's it called? Sandy Island is, or Duck Island at the mouth of the French River. Okay. If you go uh, west of there, you have like 35, 40 kilometers of water that's less than 15 feet deep. 40 kilometers, 35 kilometers of, 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 like, that's, you know, that's a gigantic piece of water there. That's all super shallow. And then from Duck Island east, it's deep. I mean, not really deep. It's like, you know, 60 feet, 30 to 60 feet, you know, for like 55 kilometers that in that direction to the east. Right. So it's kind of like having two separate parts of the lake one really shallow weedy part and then one deep whitefish slash cisco slash smelt uh oligotrophic water 
Do you ever fish the island? Do you ever go to Manitou Island? Yep. Yep. Oh, I like the Manitous. Uh, the, the goose are good too. And then other than that, there's not really much else out there in the middle. It's all perfect habitat like we were talking about before, right? There's food everywhere. Um, just the, the muskies that are happy there. Cool. Yeah. It's, uh, it's such a unique lake. I mean, it's, it's so fascinating when you break it down and, uh, you know, you can, you catch so many different kinds of fish species fish there. It's uh, it's an amazing fishery. Um, okay. So that, that's, that's a good open water insight. I mean, it's very, I think it's very counterintuitive to, to go into open water and fish, but Chris, the more we hear these really good fishing anglers, you know, these, 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 these fishing guides rather talk about, uh, open water in early season, you know, it's, uh, it's something that can't be overlooked for the success equation. Um, okay, Chris, we're almost at a point here where we're going to wrap up. Is there anything we didn't touch on that maybe you want to bring up? Yeah, there's two things. I'll get to the, the next one after this point, which touches just on what you said, because one of the other things for early season that we heard a lot of before, and we continue to hear this, is is scaling down the baits. And we touched on this before, and I'm not sure if it's in this, uh, in, in this recording or not, but... Um, Matt, you were talking about like, you know, even the smaller blades are producing, producing uh, a lot of numbers and big fish for you. Um, so you don't always have to have like, I mean, at the, at the start of the season, you can have a much smaller bait and still have high success rates. Oh, absolutely. And Frank, we've been hearing this from a lot of people, right? Like throwing the MEPS, throwing like musky killer size baits or some of the blue fox that are much smaller than the, the double eights or the double tens. 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, but I'll tell you this too, okay? Um, they have no problem eating a 12-inch swim bait or, you know, like a 16-inch swim bait. No problem. I mean, so the thing is, so like if you go in back into the bays, Chris, right, you're, you're, you're going to have more perch and panfish forage, which is small, right? So I'd lean towards those smaller baits back in there, but out in the main channel, or in the lake where there's whitefish and cisco everywhere, like the cisco are huge, right? They're, uh, I don't know, they're, I, the average size would be 12 inches. Like just, there's and there's bigger ones, right, of the cisco. So, um, yeah, I mean, they're used to eating those things like all day long. So I wouldn't, I, you're never too big, uh, even even on opener in the in the big water there. Like don't even let it cross That's a great your mind. Yeah, that's yeah. Really the nice thing about the open water with the bigger lures is, uh, because you're in the in a vast open uh, section of water, right? Especially in the big water, those bigger lures, the fish can see them from farther away. So you're kind of covering more water just by default by your lure being bigger. Very cool. I never thought of that. Interesting. Probably everything, right? There, it's making a bigger. It's probably putting a bigger. Uh, bio signal in the water too, right? With with just by virtue of it being a bigger bait and uh, you know putting off more vibration and all that stuff too, right? I might be wrong. Like I I, I mess around a little bit with small lures um, out there, and I don't think it matters. But I might be wrong. Who knows? Well, Frank, I mean one thing. One thing I know you you all you, you want to know about, and I, and I want to know about, and I know listeners want to know as well, 
is, okay, so Matt, you talked a bit about how, you know, some of the keys to success and some of the insights in, uh, on your tactics, but what is, is there a change in your tactics when you're no longer going for muskie, you're going for the fish? So you're targeting, let's say you're specifically targeting those the 50 class muskie and up. So you're, you know, you're, you're not, I mean, w- would you change your tactics at all? Is, is that something that, you know, you have a different approach when you're going for the fish as opposed to just getting fish in the boat? That's a good question. Um, I'm really happy you asked that, Chris. Yeah, Great so, question. Okay, so again, in my opinion, I might not be right on this. There's probably guys that can answer this better than me, but I'll do my best. So I would fish probably deeper, uh, number one, right? I'd, I'd probably spend more time trolling so I could cover water more efficiently. Uh, and for me, in my experience, fishing uh, post turnover and late fall is uh, a key um, for big fish success. If it was midsummer or mid season or any time of the season, I think um, kind of erring on the deeper side is, is going to be give you bigger fish, right? And because uh, they're just a lot of people aren't fishing down there, right? They don't get harassed. And uh, and then for me, like all of my biggest fish every season are, are uh, you know, mid October to the end of the season. So like October 15th to December 15th. Yeah, that makes makes perfect sense. It's that, Chris, I think that's in line with a lot of the things we've heard before, right? And it is, and it is, and also there's that that comment. I can't remember who mentioned it that you know during those times, especially in the latter part of the season, there's not a lot of anglers that want to go out and just face those weather challenges. So you have like, you know, you, you have exposure to a lot of, or, or you're going to be exposed to larger muskets. A lot of people won't be during the summer season because they don't want to face that kind of tough really tough conditions of fishing in you know late october november and december that and uh muskies also have uh you know they, they have 15 20 percent extra body weight uh just in eggs the females right just in eggs alone they start putting eggs on for the spring so that you know that 40 pounder you know, from august is you know what i don't know 50 pounds now 48 pounds right just just eight pounds of egg weight Yeah, yeah, we, we've heard that too. So that makes a lot of sense, and uh, that it's a perfect storm of catching a big fish, right? The lack of pressure gives you a first crack at a lot of these waters, and the fish that are taking on eggs and you know presenting a much larger girth and, and weight profile. And uh, yeah, I love fishing. That's that's my favorite time of year to fish is that season. To be honest, I, I don't care what it's like outside. I love going out when it's cold, and I, I love going out in November, December. Hundred percent. Me too. Absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So, Chris, are, are you have you exhausted your list? Are we ready for a fish story, or is there anything else we want to, to get insights on here? Um, I think we covered a lot. If you have any more uh, points, yeah, you know, I'm happy to keep discussing. Maybe one thing I would ask Matt is if he if he keeps a detailed log, so he's able to, like to go back and check at what what times of year and what times of day and what you know like all of the kind of metrics on catching the fish if he if if he if you matt if you take if you take that data and put it down every time you catch and then review it 
I do on, on a, on a bunch of different levels. Um, and the one thing I did that, that sometimes surprises me and I love is, uh, I set up calendar events, right? So if something happens, you know, and I, I do this all the time. Um, so, but something really good happens, I'll set up a calendar event, like, you know, for example, open water in mid, mid July, right? Don't forget that it'll just post. So the next year it'll pop in my phone. It'll say, Oh, don't forget. It's mid July right now. Last year, you get four fifty three is doing, doing this. Right. And then instead of me having to go look for my log, my phone just pops up and, and uh, with a yearly calendar event and tells me another good way too is just these days with, with iPhones and, and technology is just take, you know, if you take pictures of your phone, you can just scroll back by date and look for, the time of year, right? You can look, you can just look for June or mid July and you'll see all the pictures from mid July and be like, okay, yeah, I remembered uh, that's exactly what I was doing. That's how I caught the, that. That's where I caught it, this fish or what I caught it on. You can just remember by looking at the photos, right? Yeah, that's cool. I mean, they're all timestamped too. You can get every, every bit of information right down to the last minute, right? Yeah. And I do a lot of screenshots like those ones I sent to you on my uh, graph too. Right, and they're all time stamped. And when if I if I catch a fish and I put a waypoint for that fish down, like while I'm out there fishing and I'm driving by it, I'm like, oh yeah, is that that one? Right, and I can click on the the icon and it'll give me all of the metadata, like obviously the location, you know, the time, um, water temperature. It's all there. It's all it's all built in as the metadata for that icon. So yes, I, I do keep logs, but mostly electronically with that with my calendar, and then. Uh, on other levels with the, you know, with the iconing and photos. It really helps. And I love when my, my phone pops up and tells me how to catch fish. It's, a, it's the best. That's pretty smart. Yeah, that's clever. Yeah, like so sometimes, your last sometimes stuff like 10 years ago will pop up. Well, you could set a recurring reminder, right? If it's yeah, something exactly. that, yeah. So you could, you could do an annual reminder on that day, yeah. right? So yeah, I love it. Right on. Yeah, so especially if you hit a hot spot and you get a bunch of fish, and you know you get a bunch of fish in an hour window, or whatever you're gonna want. Because I think about Chris the one the one day Attila and I were on the Niagara and we caught like four fish in like like five minutes. I've never seen anything like it on the Niagara, and I've literally never seen anything like it since. But you know, we were so inexperienced, man. I. Excuse me. I should have really cataloged that in a little better detail what the conditions were because, man, the infamous uh, light switch, you know, That's, where the things are on and Frank, Frank, that was perfect timing. Yeah, yeah, that was perfect timing because you just reminded me of a fishing story. You mentioned those five fish. Awesome. Well, so what, what, check this yeah, story. Right ahead. This is crazy. Okay, so I'm fishing with Kyle Gara on Magneto One River twenty years ago long time ago, like real, like uh, at least 20 years ago, probably 25 years ago. Okay. Yeah. Probably 25 years ago now. Plus. So we're fishing. Um, and we come around the point of the point of the small Island. Right. And we catch a fish. Right. And then we catch, we raise one. Then we catch another one. We're like, what the hell is going Like we're on Georgian Bay water right now. This is not supposed to be this easy. What the hell is going on? Right. And all of a sudden it's just on fire. I think we caught six, eight fish all within, an hour and we didn't know why and until we turned around we heard the sound right we turned around and one of those gigantic uh um 
ocean liner or whatever you call it, coal ships. What are those ships called? Those big tankers that go through the, the Great Tank, yeah, they yeah. have those gigantic ones, right? That go like 30 feet down. Like this huge, massive coal ship, whatever they're called, right? It pulls in. So what we figured happened was that thing was slowly moving down the, the, the Magnetowan River, right? Or up the Magnetowan River. And it was so big and deep, it just pushed all of these muskies up onto this spot. Because they were like, what the fuck, right? And they, they just all ran away from this fish and they went up onto this we just happened to be there and intersected them when they pulled pulled up onto this flat and we caught like six or eight fish all within uh an hour hour and a half and uh raised a bunch of other ones probably the same ones right we kept seeing them and this and the 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 craziest thing i've ever seen in my entire life and i think kyle might have mentioned this when he was on your podcast i think he did or he did it on one of his podcasts anyways um this one muskie came up to the boat and stuck its head right out of the water and looked over at me and then looked over at him and then looked back at me back at kyle and then just put its head underneath the water and swam away like its entire head up to its gill plates were out of the water staring at us it was crazy <laughs> that all happened. i think you did mention that on our show. yeah did he mention that i, I want to say he mentioned, i think he mentioned it on the power panel didn't he Oh, somewhere. I know he talked about it somewhere, but yeah, that was crazy. Like, yeah, I tell people that yeah. story, we, they don't believe me. Like, you know, uh, I don't know if I, I believe you because it, like that, but the fish's head was completely out of the water. Like, it was doing a, you know, a handstand or like a, a headstand right out of the water. You know what? We we had that happen on the Niagara once and it was fishing too. It's almost like a surreal moment where you're like, what the hell is that? And then you're like, I think that's a muskie. Like, what the f you know, you're fishing for muskie, you know, you see a muskie fall, you get crazy, right? And it's like, like, what is that on the surface? It's kind of swimming towards us. And then you realize, yeah, it's a muskie. And I remember my buddy Attila said, grab the net. Cause I was going to like, I was just going to net it, see if I could catch it. And uh, of course it swam away once it uh, saw us seeing it. Uh, but it's always a surreal moment when that happens. And I don't think very many anglers have experienced it, but uh, sounds like you guys have. And, and I know we, we did up here. So uh, it's surreal. It's just a weird, weird moment, right? And I've heard everything from like they just ate a fish with like a swim bladder, and uh, I don't, I don't know, I don't know what the explanation is. What do you yeah, think, Matt? Yeah, this one actually made eye contact, right? Like I've seen them too, where their heads are stuck out of the water and they're swimming randomly. But this one like popped its head of the water and like stared me in the eyes and looked at Kyle and looked back at me and looked back at Kyle and like nope and then swam away. It was hilarious. He's like, you're not getting me, man. You got my buddies, but you're not getting me. Yeah. Smart, smart. Exactly. Awesome. All right, guys. Well, Chris, are we uh, going to wrap this up? It's been an absolute marathon session, I'm happy yeah, to yeah. say. I think we got to send some beer over to Matt for being so patient with us and all the technical issues we've had today. So, Matt, we really appreciate you sticking with us through all these issues we had. Oh, you're welcome, uh, and I'll take you up in that beer. I'll just get some of Unleash the Beast. I was gonna, I was gonna bribe him with beer, Chris, to let me on his boat before the uh, season starts, before the uh, Unleash the Beast starts. But I'll, I'll, uh, I'll have to play another card. All right, guys. All right. Uh, okay, so Chris, can I make some announcements? Are we done with uh, Matt, or what do you want to do here? Go ahead. Let's All right, wrap guys. it up. All right, so 
Before we go, a couple things we would like to ask our listeners. Please leave a review, especially on iTunes for the show. Whether you like the show, you hate the show, we don't care. But leave a review. It would really help us out. Uh, we've had some listeners reach out the last uh, couple weeks by email saying that they had left some reviews, and we appreciate that. So please, please and thanks. Uh, Ugly Pike Pilsner online. We are going to make a huge announcement in two weeks for province-wide distribution. We're going to be in so many places uh, with one uh, purchasing body. I think you can fill in the blanks. But that episode, that uh, announcement comes down in two weeks, April 21st. I think we're going to be making that announcement. Uh, if you're in the Niagara region, Betty's Restaurant, best fish and chips you're ever going to have. They've got Ugly Pike Pilsner, the Irish Harp in Niagara-on-the-Lake, probably the best pub in Niagara-on-the-Lake, phenomenal place. Uh, they've got Ugly Pike Pilsner, Karma Chameleon in Thorold. This guy that owns this place, the chef, was a chef at the Ritz-Carlton in Florida. This is one of the biggest hidden gems in Niagara. They've got Ugly Pike Pilsner. So uh, lots of announcements uh, and more restaurants coming online every day. We sold out at Camiso's Fresh Foods. Uh, not only did they restock us, but they put a whole end aisle. Chris, I, haven't even, I don't even think I sent you this picture yet, but I was in there the other day. They put a massive end aisle full of Ugly Pike Pilsner uh, onto their beer section. So I'm, we're so thankful for that. It looks awesome. I'll shoot you the picture today, Chris, so you can check it out. Um, but uh, with all that said, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will catch you next time. Thanks, Matt O'Brien. Okay. Thanks for doing this, Matt. Appreciate it. Hey, you're welcome, guys. Looking forward to yeah, seeing man. you. Fantastic. Thanks, everybody, for listening.